You may be wondering what kind of lesson we're going to have starting off with words such as that from the prophet Jeremiah. We're going to look at a, a, a little bit of a different topic for maybe many that would be watching this online, probably not so much for you, uh, as we have studied some of this in the past. And I'll explain to you why I uh, chose this topic. But let me start off by saying this. As we, as we look throughout time, many people here are very familiar with the Reformation period of the 15 and the 1600s in Europe. There are some people who are somewhat familiar with the Great Awakening, which took place in the 17 and the 1800s here in America. But I would say there are very few that have actually heard of the Restoration Movement, which took place in America and in Europe in the 1790s through the 1840s. And the goal at that time with the Restoration Movement was to actually go back and to restore the faith of the Bible for those who currently were not practicing it. And so you had men from multiple different religious groups with this one idea of let's go back to the faith of just the Bible. Now I do have to make this statement and here's actually why I'm presenting this lesson. Two weeks ago I happened to go back to look up a website. Many of you maybe have actually been to it, maybe not. It, it was called Traces of the Kingdom. That website was uh, placed some many years ago by a gentleman by the name of, I think it's Keith Sisman, I think is how you pronounce it, but it may be Sisman. But at any point, he died a few years ago, and I, I happened to go to this website uh, two weeks ago. I was going to look up some information, and guys, lo and behold, that website has, the domain has expired. For any of you who have not been to the website, and it had a wealth of information, uh, I do have one copy, one copy of his writings down in my office if it's still there, <laughs> and anybody here is welcome to look at that information. My point in bringing that up is, is this gentleman had gone through the history and had pictures and documents and history recording the autonomous groups called, calling themselves the Churches of Christ all the way through, I think he went back to about the 1200s, and then I found a, play, a site yesterday that actually covered from the 100s to the 1500s. Now this gentleman died. But my point was, is I was looking up some information about the history of those who just called themselves Christians. And so I thought today I'd go a little bit against the grain, and, and hopefully this will help many watching this. We're going to talk about restoring the faith of the Bible. Now, I have to start off by talking a little bit about the idea of restoration. Let's start off by talking a little bit about what that is not or what it does not include. And I have to do that because the majority of people you talk with are very familiar with the Reformation period, okay? Restoring something is not the, the same as reforming something. That word reform actually means to uh, improve or amend something that is wrong or corrupt. And that's what Martin Luther wanted to do to the Catholic Church. Martin Luther was a Catholic priest. He had no intentions of ever leaving the Catholic Church. He had no intentions of ever starting another religious group, as we know today, called uh, the Lutheran denomination. He simply realized that the Catholic Church was corrupt. And so he wanted to go back and to reform what he believed was wrong with the Catholic Church. He didn't want to go back and to um, deal with all of their issues. He just wanted to really stop the corruption. Now, let me mention this before I move on because this is what leads into a lot of what we have today. The Catholic Church, and, and I grew up in the Catholic Church, so I can speak a little bit on this and, and have a lot of their writings and uh, even have an uncle who's a priest. The Catholic Church developed out of the church that we know of and we read about in our New Testament. 
The problem was is that there was an apostasy from the New Testament teachings. It was, it was and is the result of combining Christianity, Judaism, and paganism. Okay? And so my point in saying that is, is the Catholic Church was a complete doctrinal mess. But Luther didn't want to go back and fix the doctrinal mess. He simply wanted to fix what he saw as corruption. So again, he wanted to reform it. Let me explain it this way. This weekend, I put shocks on my van, my old minivan out there. I reformed that minivan. But if you look out there, you'll realize it's not restored, right? I didn't even, I just used aftermarket parts. There's a big difference between reformation and restoration. Luther never wanted to restore the church that we read about in the Bible. He just simply wanted to reform it. And out of that reformation process, well, we have most of the religious groups that we have today, okay? As a matter of fact, if you look at our religious world today, many of the changes uh, that we see around us have been made to the New Testament faith that we read about in our, in our Bible. It's, it's a complete doctrinal mess. It's, it's really in the same situation that the Catholic Church was in. And so in order to restore that, we simply have to go back to our New Testament teachings. That's what the Restoration Movement was all about. Now, here's one of the most logical questions that anybody watching this should ask. Well, that sounds like a really good uh, idea, Sean, but I mean, can you go back and give me some biblical examples of restoration in the Bible? If you're suggesting we should restore the faith of the Bible, can you give me examples of people doing that? Go ahead and start turning on over to Second Chronicles. It's going to take you a little bit. That's Old Testament. And I'll explain a few things while we get there. As we read through our Bible, one of the things we find out is that God's authorized system for worship and how people lived has always had the need for restoration. And it wasn't because God changed anything or because God changed, but it was because man did. You go back and you'll learn that the Mosaic Law had not been in place very long before people began to change what God had commanded for worship or what God had commanded in their personal lives. And as a matter of fact, we can read throughout the book of Judges where there was so much apostasy and perversion taking place with God's uh, requirements upon man that He had these judges who were coming and they were dealing with this cycle of apostasy. They would apostatize. A prophet or a judge would come back. They would call them to repentance. They would repent. They would become righteous again and they would go back into apostasy all over again. Now, you guys turned on over to Second Chronicles. What we're going to learn here is there's a king named Hezekiah. He had seen all of this taking place, and he realizes there was a need for restoration. I say that because he didn't want to reform Israel's religion. He literally wanted to go back and to restore it to Old Testament teaching. All right? Second Chronicles 29. We're going to actually read verses 1 through 6. And after we get done, stay there because we're going to flip a page and go on over to chapter 30. 2 Chronicles 29, let's read verses 1 through 6. Here you're going to see a biblical example of restoration. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. He's 25. And he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Let me pause for just a second. You guys ever heard people say, you know, the young people today, they're just not interested in religious things. This guy's 25 years old. 
He's interested in religious things. And I don't know if you noticed that. He's literally having to open the doors of the house of the Lord and repair them. Can you guys imagine that the Jews would allow the house of God, the temple there, to, to become in disarray? It did, and you'll find out why. Let's go on, verse 4. And he brought, he brought in the priests and the Levites. These are the ones responsible for carrying out worship. And he gathered them together in the east, east street, and he said unto them, Hear me, ye, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed, or sinned, and done that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken Him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. Well, here's what you're going to realize. The temple is in disarray. The priests who are leading worship, they're not sanctified. And they have literally turned their back on God by turning their back on God's Word. Now go on over to chapter 30. Let's see what else we can learn here about Hezekiah, this young king who's wanting to restore the faith. Second <clears throat> Chronicles 30, starting in verse 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh. Let me pause again. You're probably saying, who are these people? This is southern and northern uh, tribes, also including the two tribes on the east side of, of uh, the Jordan River. Who does that include? That is all the Jewish tribes. Okay, That's who he's writing letters to, all of Israel as a nation. What's he telling them? He goes on that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Why? To keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had... Let me pause for a minute. These guys didn't need a letter from a king to know when they were supposed to come and celebrate Passover. They, they knew when it was supposed to take place. Why in the world is he having to send them a letter saying, it's time to come worship? Let's keep going. Verse 2, For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. Let me pause again. For any of you Bible scholars, the first uh, time you observe the Passover is not in the second month. It's the do-over date. That's the makeup date for when you missed the first Passover. Okay, let's keep going. <clears throat> Why couldn't they be there in the original time? He says, For they could not keep it at that time. What time? The original time. Because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. Let me pause. The priests weren't ready to worship, and not only that, the people didn't show up. Can you guys imagine people not being prepared for worship today or showing up for worship? Yeah, they had the same problem when they were Jews. Same problem we have. He goes on. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that's from the most northern to the southern, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. Notice this. For they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. The Jews hadn't been keeping the Passover, or at least they hadn't been worshiping, and if they were worshiping, they weren't doing it the way it was written. They literally are offering vain worship. They're offering unauthorized worship, and they're doing that because they're not doing it the way that it was written. So King Hezekiah says, let's come back to Jerusalem on the appointed days, 
You priests, you need to be sanctified so that you can carry out worship on behalf of the nation of Israel. And the rest of you Jews who are supposed to be here, get here to the temple so we can have the Passover, right? They were supposed to worship on the 14th of the first month. They couldn't. They weren't prepared. The people didn't show up. However, the Scriptures did allow a second observance if you were not sanctified or if there was a reason that you couldn't uh, be there for the first, Numbers 9, 10, and 11. Now here's the question. Why is it that the temple was uh, in disarray, and why is it that the priests were unclean? Well, Hezekiah shows us that his predecessors and the priests, their forefathers, they had brought in idolatry. They literally had been offering false worship, vain worship, and they were not doing it such as it was written. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 5. The problem was that Israel as a nation had not had pure scriptural worship in a long time. And so Hezekiah wanted to restore the nation of Israel back to what we find written in the scriptures. Is he creating a brand new religious system? No. He's not creating a new system of Judaism. He just wants to go back and do it the way the Bible says, right? Guys, I'm going to submit to you today that there are people today who are worshiping and they have the same problem these Jews had. They're worshiping, but they're not worshiping as it is written. They had the same problem back then that we have today. Now, let's go on over to 2 Kings chapter 23. We're going to look at another king of Judah. His name is Josiah. And Josiah is trying to do the exact same thing that King Hezekiah was doing. Matter of fact, if you guys didn't realize, both of these kings are from Judah. Uh, the majority of the kings in the northern nations, they were horrible, heretic, rank, I don't know what else to call them, leaders. They literally led the nation astray. You had problems in the southern nation, but as a whole, the southern nation did a much better job. And King Josiah that we're going to read about is one of the good kings. 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 21. And the king, this is Josiah, commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, notice this, as it is written in the book of this covenant. Surely there was not holding such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor of the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holden to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols... Let me pause for a minute. Can you guys imagine the Israelites would be involved in this kind of nonsense? That they would allow paganism and idolatry to actually infiltrate into the system of Judaism under the law of Moses? The law of Moses doesn't permit any of that, but they're doing it. Let me keep going. Uh, moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law. What's he doing? He's going back to the scriptures, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Can you guys imagine if you only had one copy of your Bible and you lost it? How would you know how to worship? How would you know how to be faithful? Can you imagine the Jews actually losing their scriptures? And then lo and behold, somebody found it. And he says, you know what we need to do? We need to go back to this book that we found, the law, and we need to start worshiping and living according to that. Right? 
He's not starting a new religious group. He's simply restoring their corrupt worship back to what their scriptures taught them. Right? The Passover was to be done by the Mosaic Law. They didn't even have the book for a while. Uh, and so they hadn't observed the Passover scripturally since the days of the judges. What had they done? They had changed worship. The problem that they had back then is the same problem we have today. What did they do to go back and restore the Passover? Well, they simply did what was written in God's Word. They went back according to what Josiah did, told them to do. They went back to the original commands. They did everything that God had told them to do in the way that God had told them to do it in order to carry out worship. And therefore, instead of offering vain worship or unauthorized worship, they were worshiping scripturally. Not a new religion. They just went back and restored their corrupt religion. Okay. Now let's talk about the prophet Jeremiah. Going over to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. And Jeremiah was doing the same thing that Hezekiah and that Josiah did. He's trying to get the people to go back and simply do what God told them the way that God told them to do it. Okay? Jeremiah 6, verse 16. I'll read down to 17. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. He said, you know what you need to do? You need to go back to the way that we used to do it. The correct, this is a prophet of God calling them back because of their corrupt worship, because of the paganism that had, had come into Judaism. Right, Guys, I don't exactly know how Jeremiah died. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you know what tradition says was the, de was the reason that Jeremiah died? Tradition says his fellow countrymen, the Jews, stoned him to death. Because he was saying, come back to the Word of God. Just do what God tells you to do. And tradition says that they stoned him to death. His teaching was pretty simple. Just go back to the beginning. Just do what God tells you to do. Just use, just use the Scriptures. But sadly, what do we know? They said, we will not walk in those ways. They said, we will not hearken. We will not listen to that. And guys, I will submit to you today that there are people who will not want to walk in those ways. They will not want to listen to sermons such as this because really the message I'm giving is the same as Hezekiah. It's the same as Josiah. It's the same thing that Jeremiah was saying. Biblical restoration, whether it was under the times of Judaism or whether today is simply going back to God's Word under whichever covenant you are living under, and we live under the New Testament covenant today, and simply doing what He said. Today, many will not have it so. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to do it. And guys, that's why we have so many religious groups today. Our religious world around us today is the 31 flavors of apostasy. If you go to a group and you don't like what they teach, go to another group. And if you go there and you don't like what they teach, go to another group. The problem, guys, is, is when you find the group to worship with, the way that you find them is by going back to God's Word and simply reading it and then saying, what group today meets this requirement? It's like Josiah said. It's like Hezekiah said. It's like Jeremiah said. Go back to the Word of God. Then you know that you are worshiping scripturally. 
Here is a question, though, for people watching this online today or even for us. And really, this is, this is what was going on during the restoration movement. I mean, is there a way that we can restore the faith that we're in today or get back to what it is the Bible told us to do? And the answer is yes. Now, there are a lot of people who condescendingly will say this. Well, are you guys going to go back and restore the church of Corinth with all of the problems that they had? Right? Some would say, are, are you going to go back and restore the church we read about in Jerusalem with all the Judaizers that they had? And they will condescendingly say things like, well, are you going to go back and restore the church in Ephesus who had lost its first love? And the answer is, is no. The answer is no to all of those because those congregations were not the standard. The reason those congregations had fallen into error is because they had left the standard. They could have been restored back to faithfulness, the same as we could be restored back to faithfulness regarding worship and, and our personal lives, if we'll simply do the same thing. And that's to not deviate from the standard, or if you have, to go back to the standard. Same thing Hezekiah was saying. Same thing Jeremiah was saying. Same thing Josiah was saying, right? True restoration, not only for the congregations I just mentioned, but for us is to simply go back and to do what the Bible says. That was the thought process during the Restoration Movement. Uh, you guys know the phrases, right? Speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. You've heard people say things like, uh, give a thus saith the Lord for everything. You'll hear me say sometimes, give book, chapter, and verse. I'll talk to someone and they'll say, well, you're saved by faith alone through grace alone. I'll say, give me book, chapter, and verse for that. Give me the, give me the passage because if you can show it to me, I'll believe it, right? That's the idea of restoration. What does the Bible actually, actually teach on the subject? If you do that for everything, no matter what it is you're talking about, baptism, worship, how to become a Christian, if you do that for everything, give me book, chapter, and verse, I guarantee you, you'll get back to the system of faith that we read about in the New Testament. There is a pattern that we can follow. Paul actually told these Romans that they had given up sin to follow the inspired doctrines. Listen to Romans 6, 17, and 18. And you'll have people today tell you, well, there is no specific doctrine for the church or for worship. <laughs> They've not studied their Bible. Romans 6, 17, and 18. But God be thanked that ye, these are the, the church there in Rome, and the Christians there, the church in Rome, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. How did they become servants of righteousness? They went back and obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that they were given. Okay, That word form, the same idea as the word pattern, right? We'll talk about having a concrete form. Uh, we have sewing forms. Uh, the idea is, is that there was a pattern for our doctrine. Paul says they've obeyed this pattern of doctrine. And the very next verse says, because of their obedience, they had been freed from sin. And this pattern or doctrine that Paul was teaching those there in Rome, it was the same pattern of doctrine that he taught in every congregation that he went to. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, we call him Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul taught simply one doctrine, 
There was one church in the first century. Yeah, we have congregations that were in error, and we can go back and read about it, but it's because they had deviated from the doctrine they had been taught. But there was just one church, and there was just one doctrine being taught. Timothy is actually told to hold fast to these sound words. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast the form or pattern of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now, why would he have to tell Timothy this? I wish I could go back and do a whole history lesson. I'm going to have to learn to keep my sermons a little shorter. But sadly, in the first century, for any of you guys who have studied Bible history, you will learn that they, the, these sound words were not held fast. As a matter of fact, we know that the pattern was deviated from. It led to an apostasy. We know that by the end of the first century, apostasy was taking place. It had infiltrated many of the congregation. Eventually, over the next few hundred years, the church apostatized by being overseen by a plurality of elders into a formalized, what we now call a Catholic hierarchy system under a one-man rule with a new set of rules, new rites, new worship days, and a whole bunch of things that are nowhere found within our scriptures. Luther didn't want to mess with any of that. Luther just wanted to stop the corruption. And so all of that doctrinal mess continued on, and the denominations which came off of it carried much of that doctrinal mess into their religious groups. Now, here's a, here's a logical question. With the first century apostasy, why was there an apostasy? Well, I have to say this. There was an apostasy, but there have always been faithful Christians. But they have always been in the minority. And that's why I was sad when I went back a few weeks ago and I noticed that website was gone because he had documents from many books pictures of wood engravings of the Churches of Christ, which met there in England and France and all over the world in the Middle Ages. Many of those and many of those preachers literally being burned at the stake by the Catholic Church. Guess what they were preaching? Baptism for the remission of sins, which we read about in Acts 2.38. But that contradicted what the Catholic Church was teaching. So these preachers were being burned at the stake. These Christians, which did exist, they have always exist, existed, but been in a very small minority, they were being persecuted and killed by the Catholic Church. But there was an apostasy going on, but in spite of all of that, there were always Christians. So then here's the question. I mean, how did it get to that point? Why would people apostatize? Well, let's look at a few, a few reasons. And I, I'm not... I, I'm, it's not that this is the only way that I could approach this, but I think that this way will be the most eye-opening for not necessarily you guys here, but for those watching this online. Uh, I'm going to have to approach this in a little bit different method. One of the reasons there is apostasy is pride. Now, I think most of us would get that. We know that pride oftentimes causes people to do their own things their own way because they simply don't want to do things God's way. That's what happened with the Jews, and that's what happens with Christians. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What do we have here in this passage? We have man's will being contrasted to God's will. There are some people who are so prideful, they're just going to do things the way they want to do it. They're not going to do it the way that God tells them to do it. 
And I would submit to you that the, probably the, one of the number one reasons that there is apostasy and people are not in alignment with the Scriptures is pride. Pride comes from an evil heart. Listen to Mark 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Pride is sin of the heart. And we know that wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions. And each of these leads to division between individuals, within congregations, and even within the church as a whole. And the end result is not restoration, it's division. That is why we have thousands of churches teaching different things. Why? They're too prideful to do what the Bible says. Guys, why are there divisions within, let me just mention a few. How about the Baptist church? I mentioned this in the last sermon, right? You've got the Southern Baptists, you've got Free Will Baptists, uh, you've got the Primitive Baptists. They all believe different things. They teach different things. How did that happen? They disagreed with each other, and instead of going back and resolving the situation by just studying the Bible, they just created a new group. Don't let yourself think that this didn't happen within the churches of Christ. I don't have time to go back and study it, but if you actually go back and study it, they attribute the Baptist church to John Smith, you'll actually find that the original split came off of the uh, churches of Christ. The churches of Christ uh, had the original first split with what later became known as Baptist, not as we call them today. They were called Baptists because they immersed in water. But it became a split due to Calvinism. They rejected free will. And because of that, you now have... Uh, and this, this is see, seen in the actual historical records of the church. You're not going to find this in many history books. You will find it in a few of the uh, Baptist history books because they actually have the writ, pictures of the written records, which talk about they actually call themselves the churches of Christ and how they split. They split over Calvinism. So don't think this hasn't happened in the, Catholic, or in the, uh, in the churches of Christ, too. All of this came about by pride. Now let's talk about another reason a lot of people will not be restored to New Testament faith. We have to look inward here for a minute. Part of it is because there is some arrogance towards those who are lost. I don't think I've ever seen that here. But have I seen it? I absolutely have. Uh, it is sad to think that there are people who are Christians who look down on other people because they disagree on the Scriptures or because they don't understand the Scriptures the same way that, let's say, that we understand them or as other people understand them. Many people actually think that people really are just, dis, they're just intellectually dishonest or people just really aren't interested in these types of things. And many people simply have lost their love for seeking out the lost. Uh, they really have this idea. How many guys have ever heard someone say, say something like this? You know, people just don't want to hear the truth today. What happens is, is many people begin to get very jaded in the way that they think. They believe that other people aren't sincere and that there aren't people out there looking for the Word of God. I will tell you this, there are people out there looking. There's just not a lot of people teaching things like this today. And so when they look, where do they, where do they go? They go to the websites. They begin to look at churches. Well, unfortunately, many of the websites that could lead them to the truth are disappearing. And many people aren't digging into books like they ought to. So many people today have this idea, well, people just don't want to hear the gospel anymore. I work with people who seem to be religiously minded, Larry was talking about a guy he came into contact with who's interested in spiritual things. There are people looking. With that being said, there are people lost, 
Have you ever wondered why people are lost? Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. <laughs> but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Let, let that sink in for just a second, guys. Why are people lost? It's directly related to the gospel. They don't know the gospel. Verse 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Guys, we are in a mission field every day. There are people who are looking for people who are just worshiping as Christians. They're looking for being restored back to the faith of just the New Testament. Listen to Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. There are lost people. They need somebody to teach them. That is the goal of the Christian. And what are we, what are we supposed to teach them? Remember the words of Hezekiah and Josiah and Jeremiah, right? just, to, just to take them back to the Bible. That's what we're to teach them, just the gospel. Guys, when we begin to forget this, evangelism dies. And evangelism is the lifeblood of the congregation. And when we begin to get this idea that people really don't want to hear the gospel, or if we don't have the desire to go out and to reach those who are lost, we begin to turn inward. And when we turn inward, we die as a congregation. There is no unity and there is no restoration taking place with those around us. Now, this is the part I was talking about. This is the best way for me to do it, although I'm going to tell you this before I do this. This is going a little bit against the grain of our religious world today. Many people, and I believe there are many people who are honestly seeking, but they have been deceived by divisiveness. Let me ask a question before I start. Logically ask yourself this question, guys. How many of you think it's okay to go make laws where God has not made a law? Do any of you guys think that's okay? Is it okay for me to just start making laws up? Let me ask it a different way. How many of you think it's okay to remove laws that God has made because you don't like them? Logically, you guys know the answers to both of those. Most people today think that there are these thousands of churches around us. Uh, and, and guys, be very careful even to the churches you worship with that say churches of Christ because many of them aren't going to teach the truth. Many think these thousands of different churches with thousands of different beliefs is okay. What would Hezekiah and Jeremiah say to them? Just go back to the Bible. Guys, listen to this and tell me if you think this is okay. It is, it is most likely that in the apostolic age... Actually, let me read you the first note of this book. Listen, listen very carefully. It says, A church is not a legislative, but an executive body. It cannot make laws, but only obey and administer those which Christ has given in the New Testament. How many of you guys agree with that? I agree with that. Now let me turn a few pages in the book. Read, listen to this. It is most likely that in the apostolic age, when there was but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and no differing denominations existed, that's true so far, that the, uh, the baptism of a convert by that very act constituted him a member of the church and at once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. In that sense, baptism was the door into the church. That's correct. Now it is different. Let me pause for a minute. Says who? Says who? This guy? 
Now it is different. And while the churches are desirous of receiving members, they are wary and cautious that they do not receive unworthy persons. Let me pause for a minute. Every one of us is unworthy, Romans 3.23. What do you mean? The churches, therefore, have candidates come before them, make their statement, and give their experience, and then their reception is decided by a vote of the members. Where is that in our New Testament? This guy says you can't make laws for the church. Let me keep going here. He says, they give their experience and their reception is decided by a vote of the members. And while they cannot become members without baptism, yet it is by the vote of the body which admits them to its fellowship on receiving baptism. You know what he just said? You can't even be baptized unless we determine you, you can be baptized. Right? And he says, baptism used to be the door into the church, but not anymore. Guys, that's the Baptist manual. Where did it become okay to start making laws for God? You won't find that anywhere in your New Testament. I could read through the rest of this, and you may say, well, that's not very nice to read the Baptist manual here. On Guys, they quote from other religious groups to support what they believe in here. They're quoting from a ton of religious groups and Reformation. So I have the right to read that book. If they don't want it read from the pulpit, they shouldn't have printed it. I was a Catholic altar boy. How am I to be a faithful Catholic, Dad? Read this. With this. Guys, the stuff in here does not match this. It doesn't match. What would Hezekiah and Josiah and Jeremiah say? Just go back, just go back to the Word of God. You guys didn't think the Amish had a book, did you? They do. You want to know how to be a faithful Amish? Just come here and read this, right? And, you know, if you, can't get, if you can't get immersed in water, it's okay to sprinkle here and there. Guys, read through this. That's their manual. they got tons of stuff in there. I know that Jeremiah and Hezekiah and Josiah would tell you this is enough, but the Mormons say, no, you need this book too. This book, the Book of Mormon, that's what you really need to know. And it, guess what? It's totally different than what this book says. So if this one is wrong, default back to this one. Again, no. Oh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have their books. I have a ton of them down there. You can live forever in paradise on earth. I didn't realize we were going to live on earth, but the Jehovah's Witnesses say you will. That disagrees with what's in my Bible. Well, this is a good one. This is 110 years old. Christian science. You may say, that religious group's dying out, right? Mary, uh, Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, no, I actually work with an individual whose husband goes to this group. And guess what they believe? They believe what their prophetess wrote in this book, right? This book disagrees with the Bible. One more. How about the book of Confessions? The Presbyterian Church. You don't need to do what's in the Bible. What you need to do is go question, question and answer. Look at all the questions and answers. I don't need any of that, guys. Josiah and Hezekiah and Jeremiah said just go back simply to the Word of God, right? That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted unity. Let's go on over to Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus prayed for unity in John 17. Paul talks about, a un about unity in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit gave us the written Word of God. That's how we keep this unity in the bond of peace. There is one body. I told you there's just one church. 
These, all of these books, guys, were written by men, and they contradict our scriptures. You guys ever notice the churches of Christ don't have their own manual? Because we use this one. We just use, we just use the original, right? He goes on. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith. Is this one faith, guys? Everybody look. Look at these books. Is this one faith? They all teach different things. How do we have one faith? We just use this. It's what Jeremiah said. It's what Hezekiah said. It's what Josiah was saying. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you all in all. All right, guys, I'm making pretty good time. I'm almost I'm on my last page of notes here. Arrows everywhere. What's he trying to get us to understand? For every single person who claims to be a Christian or wants to be a Christian, we are supposed to dwell together in unity while at the same time trying to convert those people who are lost back to just what the Bible says, right? Back to restored Christianity. However, there are those uh, who, have, who have never wanted to do this or will not want to do this. They just want to have it their way, and that's why we have these religious groups around us. You've got people that thrive on controversy, and, and they love to constantly fight and bicker about things. They, how many of you guys know people that like to have drama around them? I've seen that quite a bit lately. You guys ever, you guys ever seen people just fight to fight? There was a preacher one time that said, they'll, they'll fight at the drop of a hat, and sometimes they're the ones dropping the hat. And that's true. It's true. You've got people that are like that. We as Christians are to live as peaceably as possible with all men. Listen to Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Guys, unity and restoration can't take place to the people around us uh, unless we desire to reach the lost. And we do it in such a way that, one, it's logically understandable. And that's why, even though I know this was offensive to some by doing this, guys, this is logical. You cannot get around the way that I'm approaching this. The goal is not to offend people, but is to logically reach them and to get them to understand of the doctrinal mess that's around us and to simply do what Jeremiah and Hezekiah and Josiah were doing and say, let's just go back to the Word of God. Now, here's the thing, guys. Some people will not choose, some people will not choose to obey the gospel, and some people are not interested in it, and that is okay. But here's what I want you to remember, and this isn't, I didn't put this in your notes, uh, you need to go back and think about um, Ezekiel 3, 18 through 22. We have to tell them, and when we do that, the blood is not on our hands. But if we refuse to tell them, then the blood is on our hands. I'm not responsible for what they do, but I am responsible to go back and to tell them. Let me address one more reason a lot of people will not be restored back to the faith of New Testament Christianity. Part of that is our culture of laziness that we have today which literally results in biblical ignorance. Listen to 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. Most of you know these passages. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Let me go back. Look at the books, guys. They will not endure sound doctrine. That's why we have these books here. He goes on, but after their own lusts, Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fable. People are not going to endure sound doctrine. They're literally just going to make their own doctrine. 
and you even have from that people with no doctrine. You have community churches which say, well, we don't really have any doctrine at all. This is a place where everybody can come and we can just love one another and be in unity. Let me say that again. We have no doctrine at all, but we can be in unity. Is that possible, guys? <laughs> not without doctrine, it's not. You can't be in unity in a community church without doctrine. As long as there are people falling away, or as long as there are people who have never heard the true gospel, there is a need to go out and to begin to restore these people or to draw them to New Testament teaching. James 5, 19 and 20. He says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Restoration, first of all, cannot take place where there is no knowledge of God. And I talk to people quite often who will tell me what it is they believe, and I'll, I'll lovingly ask them, so where, where did you find that in the Bible? It's, they didn't find it anywhere. They just believed it. Right? You can't have people worshiping and living according to the New Testament if they just don't know God. And Christians who don't know God themselves, they can't bring it into the lives of other people who don't know God. And here's what's scary. Preachers who don't study, they bring what they don't know into the pulpit and they teach that same nothing to those in the congregation. And what you have is 25-minute motivational speeches because they haven't, done their, they haven't done their study or they refuse to offend people by preaching the truth. Their goal is not to bring people back to what the Bible solely teaches. We can't... We can't expect the lost around us to accept or obey what they've never been taught or what they've never learned. Here's another issue, and when issues come up within congregations, people have to get together and to begin to study what the Bible says about an issue so that they can properly discuss it and obey it. When they don't do that, that's why we have all the religious splits going on from all the groups around us, including those within the churches of Christ. And if there isn't any study, then there can't be any proper dealing with the issues that arise. Again, that's part of the reason for the religious confusion around us. Let me, let me mention something else that, that's taking place. Many congregations have become very weak in the preaching and teaching. And when sincere Christians are not being fed, when they are not being challenged, you know what many of them will do? They will leave that congregation to go to another congregation for sound preaching and teaching. And you know what's left in the congregation they left? Those that either do not know God's will or those that do not care about God's will. And you cannot have continued faithfulness or restoration with people like that. Many individuals and congregations, unfortunately today, are not educated enough to remain faithful or to be restored to New Testament Christianity. They're literally like the nation of Israel that we read about who drifted off into apostasy and many of them do not even know. And you know what it is they need? You know what the Baptist church needs? And guys, I'm not going to go back and read their manual, but you know what they need? They need someone like Jeremiah or Hezekiah or Josiah to say, throw away your Baptist manual and just come back to what the Bible teaches. What about the Mormons? The same thing. Throw away your Book of Mormon and just come to the New Testament. And we could go through all of these different books and literally repeat the message of Hezekiah and Josiah and the prophet Jeremiah. Go back to God's Word. If you would do that, you wouldn't be like the nation of Israel that drifted off in apostasy. You would come back to that which is right. What's the goal of the Church of Christ? 
simply to follow the Bible as it has been taught and to draw all people to the simplicity that is found in Christ and the faith seen in our New Testament scriptures. That's our goal. Our goal is to promote a restoration to New Testament Christianity. It's for every religious group around us, and it's for us to remember at all times, lest we fall into the same condemnation that the Jews did, going into apostasy and never even really knowing that it happened. I hope this has opened your eyes a little bit as to the problem of apostasy, why we have it, how it happened. It's not only happened to Christianity, it's happened to the Jews too. One of the largest things that has changed over time is how people believe to become a Christian. Uh, I always pretty much end the same way if you're watching this and you don't know how to become a Christian. Don't take my word on it. Just jot down some verses. Larry and I were talking about this. You can't become a Christian without knowing the Bible first. Uh, Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Actually, the word there is Christ. You need to know your scriptures. And in all of the conversion accounts, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had faith, John 8, 24, and Hebrews eleven six. They were willing to repent of their sins, as Christ commanded them, Luke 13, 3 and 5. They were willing to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And the final act in every conversion account was baptism. Jesus uh, declares that... In Mark 16, 15, and 16, Peter taught it to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 38. And as I mentioned the other day, I think, I didn't look it up, I think, I think baptism is mentioned 77 times in our New Testament. I know it's over 70. But if you look up the word baptism, baptized, all the variations, over 70 times. I think it's 77. Don't tell me for a second that's not important. And yet people today will say, you just need to say a prayer uh, and ask Jesus into your heart. Give me book, chapter, and verse. Give me a thus saith the Lord, because I guarantee you that's not in there. If you're watching this and you've never heard that before, please contact us. Uh, we'd love to study with you. We'll find you a faithful congregation in your area. Once you become a Christian, you're added to the church by the Lord Himself. You don't sign on to uh, our list back there, and now you're a Christian. The Lord adds you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47, and then you're required to be faithful. And when you fall short, you repent of it, you turn back to God, and you live faithful again, 1 John 1, 7 through 9 and the blood will continue to cleanse you. That's how you become a Christian, and that's how you live faithful. If you've never heard that, please contact us. Uh, if you're here today and there's a way we can help you spiritually, you can simply come forward as we're led in the song of invitation.